Hey, Generation Church, we welcome you and invite you to encounter Jesus with us. We believe that through him, we will encounter love and discover our purpose. So take a seat, lean in, and let this message fortify your faith. Well, I'd like for you guys to warmly welcome um, Eric Miller. He's going to come on up here and uh, preach the word. So y'all give him a big hand. Praise the Lord. Good morning. morning. We're so happy to finally get back over here. (laughs) It's been a little while, but we uh, we've been talking to Pastor Sam and Eliza and catching up yesterday. And it's just been really refreshing to be around their family. Do you appreciate your pastors? Yeah, I know you do. They're they're phenomenal people. And we've, you know, watched them for years and have been influenced in marriage and family and so many things. We were telling them this last night, so we're so blessed to be here. You know, we we came, we left the Philippines in February 2020 to go to uh, Japan for three weeks, and then we came in March 2nd uh, to Tampa, Florida, and we were supposed to be in a church every weekend <laughs> for three months and then go back in June of 2020, and we haven't been able to go back since then. So we've been up and down the East Coast about five times, uh, ministering, living in and out of our uh, luggage and all that. But there's been so much grace. You know, we we have, you know, we moved to the Philippines in 2003 and we moved there with four other families. And there's so much that God has done. You know, our family has pretty much been responsible for the feeding program we feed 100 children every week, and uh, this past uh, year for about four to six months, we fed the 50 families that were represented in the feeding program uh, by the, their, the children who were being sponsored just because they couldn't work. If you were under 18 in the Philippines, you couldn't leave your house for a year and a half. And it was very, very difficult for folks over there. And the people we work with are very poor already, so you could imagine what that must have done. So the feeding became very important. We also have a fire school of ministry that we haven't actually had classes in the last two years just because it's too difficult to do it online over there. It's difficult enough to do it here in America, but over there it's just a whole lot different situation. So uh, not being able to go back, you know, it was kind of frustrating at first because you have all these plans and hopes of what you want to do. But then while we're here, we're reading emails, messages from the graduates, the people that the Lord's allowed us to pour into and equip and, and send out and there's been so much that has happened these last two years. We have students who've planted churches during COVID over there. Uh, we have students who started their own feeding programs. These are, these are poor people who make, uh, some of them make $20, $30 a week. And some went out and did missions work in other parts of the Philippines. Uh, there's One group is doing their own youth camp next month. And we're constantly hearing testimonies of 
people coming to the Lord, people getting healed, college campuses being impacted. And it's always been our desire to not have a ministry centered around us because I don't, I don't believe leadership is to come like this. I believe it's to come like that. And when you come up underneath people and serve them and reveal to them Jesus, that's a big responsibility. It's not just giving people information, <laughs> you know, and making good preachers, teachers, singers, and dancers and all that. But our goal was always to work ourselves out of a job. And what we mean by that is to equip them because as indigenous leaders are raised up, you expand the ministry. I believe God wants us to multiply. I don't, I don't think he just wants us to maintain and hold on and hope for the best. Uh, I, and I believe multiplication should have when things are hard. Even during times and seasons that we wouldn't expect God to be able to move or, or what was going to happen next. So since we've been here, we've traveled a lot, we've ministered a lot, we have this great passion for revival and want to see God move, just planting seeds, watering seeds, wherever we go. And uh, one of the things that Lord's allowed us to do was uh, we uh, have started a, a podcast and I was invited by the uh, Charisma Podcast Network to do, uh, you know, our own podcast called Revival Cry. And we started that September of last year. And it was not something that I was looking for, nor I wanted to pay for. <laughs> and because you're paying for, I guess, the use of their platform and things like that. And I wasn't going to do that. I, I'll put the money into the Philippines. But we had a couple people say, you need to do this, and I'm going to write you the check. And uh, that was completely taken care of for the year. And I, I was just blown away. It was a big amount of money. And so far, the podcast has gone into about 120 countries. And uh, we also have started shortwave radio that goes into all the Philippines, Japan, China, Eastern China, and North and South Korea which I was very happy about that. Uh, we've always had a desire to see God move again in North Korea. Uh, if you're not familiar, there was a great revival in the early 1900s called the Pyongyang Revival. And it, they used to call that place the, the Jerusalem of the East because of how God moved there. B Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, was greatly impacted from that revival. And yeah, so we're excited about these things and we're, we are hoping to go back in December. That's the plan right now. We also just had a new president about a month ago and he is the son of the previous, uh, some of you remember from the 80s, the Marcos family. Uh, so their son is now the president and we're going to wait and see where that goes. <laughs> but we're believing for the best and that we will have less restrictions, be able to move in and out. The son-in-law to Steve Hill, who is the evangelist during the Brownsville Revival, uh, we have a relationship with Casey, um, uh, used to watch uh, Kelsey Hill in Brownsville during the nursery days. And so we've known them for quite a while, but 
Her husband is Jordan Morris, if you're familiar with uh, Nathan Morris, who used to speak at the Bay of the Holy Spirit move with John Kilpatrick some years ago. Anyhow, Jordan is related to him and has a great passion for evangelism, has done a lot with CFAN and, uh, you know, large campaign meetings, you know, in Africa, in Kenya, actually. And he recently contacted me and said, we, we've got to do one in the Philippines. And uh, the money's already there. Um, so it's, it's, it's just waiting on us to get there <laughs> and then help. Uh, what we'd like to do is help with all the connections we have in our city of Davao. There's about 2 million people there. It's a third largest city in the Philippines. We'd like to do a smaller meeting next April of about four to 5,000 people. And that would be more of an introduction to uh, letting Jordan minister and people getting to know him and then announce there a larger outdoor gathering, which we're hoping to gather, you know, hopefully tens of thousands of people. Uh, so, you know, we know these things have been done before. We've had cults in the Philippines that are uh, very predominant. One of them called Inglesia and Christo. They don't believe Jesus is God and a lot of other weird things. Um, they had a gathering of 80,000 people and some years back. And that's always been in the back of my mind. Not that I have to feel like we have to keep up or outdo the cults, but, you know, I just believe Jesus can do a whole lot more. <laughs> and so, yeah, so please be in prayer for us. We do, as Pastor Sam on the back table, um, have these uh, support cards we can really use the help with uh, monthly support. I know some of you already do, and the church also supports us. And this church has been one of our longest supporting churches. It's really amazing, and we're very, very grateful. Um, but we have these green cards in the back. If you have feel led to take one and just fill it out, uh, you can leave it, leave it on the table there. And then we, we have you know the sign-up for... We do a monthly newsletter, uh, a physical newsletter, and an email. You can get both if you want. I <laughs> um, also have these cards if you're interested about the podcast, and it just has QR codes if you listen on iTunes, Google, Spotify, and all those wonderful things. So, yeah. And this is a devotional um, that we wrote, and I want to give this one to Jack and Miss Joe Jane because they have been... Our family, we love you guys. Uh, every time we, we come up here, we would stay with them at their home. And uh, Miss Joe Jane introduced our kids to the Narnia. Uh, and so it was, it was actually very supernatural that she did that. And I wish I had the time to tell you all that God's done with that. Uh, by the way, our eldest daughter, Sierra, you can pray for her. She will be presented as a FIRE International Missionary. That's the group organization we're with in October as a missionary to Japan. She just graduated from Regent University. She had a full scholarship there that God just did. It was amazing. And she's been called to be a missionary in Japan since she was 14. And she just turned 24. And we know that Jeremy, I think he's out somewhere, uh, also turned 24 because they have the same birthday. So 
Uh, Sierra was born and Jeremy were born on a day that was very significant in the Philippines. It was the 100-year anniversary of that nation. And uh, June 12th, 1998, and one of the things the Lord spoke to us uh, when we asked, Lord, are you sure we're called to the Philippines? <laughs> he said, here, just look at this date. You know, your daughter was born on a 100-year anniversary, you know, um, along with other things. So praise the Lord. Well, Father, I love you, and I thank you, God, for this body of believers that has faithfully served you in this region for many, many years now. And we feel such a great relationship with them. And it's such an honor to be here this morning. Lord, I thank you for the worship and, and the th words brought forth and the hearts that have responded. And we're asking you, Lord, to do whatever else you want to do today. Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would change our lives in your precious name. Amen. You know, while we were driving up here, Father's Day is a wonderful day because we have five amazing children. I love my dad. My stepfather's gone to be with the Lord in 2016. And lots of spiritual fathers in our lives, godly men that have poured into us. In fact, we'll be interviewing Dr. Michael Brown on Wednesday on the podcast, so I'm really excited about that. I actually interviewed him three days ago, and when I got home, I realized the audio wasn't working. Out of all people I've interviewed and in the ministry we've done every week since September, this is the first time that ever happened, so it's quite interesting. And, uh, and uh, the whole title of that podcast was How to Become a Voice in the Wilderness, <laughs> So, so if you want to learn how to become a voice in the wilderness, learn how to be silent before the Lord first. <laughs> so uh, uh, driving up here, you know, Father's Day of 1995 is when God poured out his spirit at the uh, Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida. And in about five years, that revival lasted. And I'm sure many of you know this. How many of you actually went down there? Anybody? Okay, some of you. It's, it's been a while. <laughs> you know, since that revival took place. And about, they, I've heard upwards of four and a half million people came to the doors of that church. There would be a line that would form every day for five years, and there would be 1,500, 2,000 people in line, sometimes by 9 o'clock in the morning. And the doors don't open until 6 p.m. And the service would start at 7, and people would run inside to get their seats, and, and you're like, what is, this is like Disney, you know, where people are so excited, you know, but there was this anticipation. There was the manifestation of the spirit. The glory of God was so tangible and real that it wasn't just about good preaching or singing or, you know, getting warm, fuzzy feelings. It was about God's glory and presence that was cultivated through prayer and intercession for many years prior to the revival uh, starting. And I love it because to me, if it's real revival, you're going to see a missions movement. And the legacy of any true revival is what happens after. And, and I don't know that the 
meetings of revival, sort of say, are supposed to continue forever. But I do believe personal revival is is to continue in our hearts. So when there is maybe no corporate revival, you know, where we just obviously know this is something different than what we're familiar with or, or, you know, is normal, that we should be burning for Jesus. Leviticus 6.13 says, the fire on the altar must never go out. It must continue to burn. And when we were driving up here the other day, uh, yesterday on I-40, you know, we were playing some old Brownsville songs, and I still listen to them occasionally, but I hadn't listened to them for a while. And these songs came on, we're just worshiping in a car, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally weeping, having a hard time seeing the road. I was thinking, maybe I need to pull over, just because, not because I'm just remembering the past, but I'm thinking that had God not done in us what he has done, there's no way we'd be doing what we are doing now. And it, you were so grateful to the Lord that he would allow us to experience his love, his presence, his glory like that, that it, it really ruins you forever. And I don't believe that Brownsville is the standard. I'm the, I don't want to recreate the Brownsville revival. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe that God wants revival more than we do. And I believe that if we will seek him, we will find him. It excites me when I see all these, you know, times of prayer taking place in a church. Because that tells me that people are pursuing and pressing in. And when the prayer meeting becomes bigger than Sunday morning, you can expect revival. And, I'll, and I'm t- it's not about just the work of it. It's about our hearts aligning with the Spirit to where we think outside of what we were talking about before, tradition. You know, you can be Pentecostal charismatic and still be traditional. Because we have a way of going about doing things that if we think if that doesn't happen, then maybe God really didn't move today. But here's the point. Is that what if God does something so out of the box because we've been seeking him that we remain so hungry and thirsty and broken before him that we we just can't stand it any longer. We've got to have more. You know, it's such a special day being Father's Day. And I was thinking about this as the first call to you know, laying things down before the Lord was here. God loves to meet our needs. He is a heavenly father. I know when when we had our children, I love to give gifts to our children. I love if I go on a trip, it's expected that every time I come back and if they're not with me or I take one of them with me, I come back and they're expecting gifts. It's like, Dad, we love you. What'd you get? I love to meet needs. I believe the Lord loves to do that. But a good father doesn't just always meet the needs of his sons and daughter. He trains them how to do the things that he knows how to do. And what do I mean by that? Well, we had a prayer meeting at our church in the Philippines. We had planted a church for eight years, and I was the pastor, and I didn't want to be the pastor, and I wanted a Filipino to be the pastor, and it wasn't happening, and it was a bit frustrating, but yet we saw great things happen. And yet, 
the Lord told us to close the doors to the church. And I wasn't seeing in eight years, you know, you know, a leader rise up, a key leader. And then we saw somebody and then it was a short period of time and they ended up moving and it was, oh God, this is so frustrating. And we were wanting to start a fire school of ministry and, and do a lot of other things, but it, I felt so confined. And I ended up getting invited uh, to speak at another church in the afternoon after our morning service every Sunday for like seven or eight Sundays. And this church did not, uh, they said they believe in baptism of the Holy Spirit and gifts, but they didn't teach on it because they were hurt many years ago by some craziness that took place. And a lot of people, there was a split, 30 families left the church, and, and it was just a mess. And this pastor was sick all the time and really struggling and anyhow, we went there, and on the fourth Sunday, I felt compelled to talk in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when I did, a uh, hundred people got baptized in the Spirit. And it was so phenomenal that we know why the Lord said, close the doors to our church, was because we were supposed to join with this church and hold up the arms of this Filipino pastor. So that's been our home church since 2014. And that church has planted 16 other churches. And some of that they did before we were there. Um, but, uh, and I'm not saying it was because of us. It was really because the Lord was uh, just moving on these folks. And then some of them went through the fire school of ministry, got trained and went out and have been doing this stuff. And, and so in hearing about what these guys are doing, even when we're not there, it so blesses us because we really, you know, we feed people every week and children. They, they are not at that level of maturity and responsibility where could they, they could just do it on their own or, or even more so do it for somebody else. Because our goal is not for these kids to just be fed and be satisfied, but it's to create in them a burden to say, I have to go feed the other people around me. I have to be responsible. You know, we're called to make disciples who make disciples. That's multiplication. We're not called to just do everything for everybody and put on a show. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of what's happened in our churches is that we become spectators instead of becoming watchmen instead of engaging the Lord in intercession and prayer and feeling the burden of the Lord for what he's called us to do and so to, when that first call came this morning I believe the Lord was meeting needs but I feel like what I'm going to share with you today is going to release part of the burden that I carry for revival I want to talk to you about canceling our forefathers in Deuteronomy 19.14, it says, You shall not move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set, in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So God is bringing Israel into the promised land. He's establishing borders and standards and he was very much about those things because he's a holy God. And he expects 
that what he says should be important to us so much so that our entire lives are centered around what he says is important. And so I don't believe we're under law anymore, but we are under grace. But that doesn't mean we throw out the law. That, you know, nowadays we have people who say, you know, we, we just want to build a building and we don't want the foundation anymore. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. What do you mean by that? Well, I just want to enjoy the benefits of that house or that building that I can live in or worship in or work in or go to school in. But I don't care about the foundation. And the reality is it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. And then through the fear of the Lord, we come to recognize our need for the love of the Father. And it's not that God gets his kicks out of making people fearful, but that we need to understand that he's God and we are not. Because that's the problem that we have with sin, is that it makes us feel like we are in control and that we don't need him. But real good evangelism doesn't just tell people Jesus loves them, but tells them the truth of if they don't repent and get right with God, this is the danger of what's going to happen. I'm, I'm not just saying be a hellfire and brimstone preacher and be mad and angry and spit on people. But I am saying that if Jesus had to endure the cross and we are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, the message that we have to share, if we're afraid to share it because of the truth and we want to only tell a part that makes people feel good, then that's on us. And our responsibility is to be able to know, uh, to develop the art of evangelism and be able to understand that God doesn't just use words, but he uses power. And when he does these things, he communicates to people that I'm real. And since I am real, you need me. <laughs> and this is what you have to do to understand who I am. So there's boundaries. There's, it's important for us to understand that there's been landmarks that are established by God's word. And also great men and women of God who have labored in the kingdom to help be models of maturity to us so that we can, you know, see before our eyes what we're reading in the scripture. I believe the cancel culture today is trying to rewrite history by moving boundaries and standards. They want to change the narrative of history to fit what they are deciding is right. See, we have a problem with a God complex. <laughs> Since nobody can rewrite history, this is how we hide our sin. Is that we don't want to deal with our sin and our issue of repenting and turning away and falling in love with Jesus and serving him no matter what the price, no matter what the cost. We want to hide. We don't want that responsibility. We just want the benefits. I want to go to heaven. You know, I, I want the abundant life. <laughs> I want you to bless me. And I believe that's all a part of God's love for us. But real sons and daughters don't just want their father to hold out their, his hand to them all the time. They're saying, we are jealous for you and your name's sake. We want to make the Lamb of God worthy to, to receive his suffering. We, he's already worthy, 
But in our worship, as we're living ourselves sold out to Him, we recognize that you alone are the one that I'm living my life for. You know, when people think they can remove these righteous standards, they're trying to release their conscience from what they're enduring every single day. Because in the conscience, two things can take place. Condemnation or conviction. Condemnation comes from the enemy. Conviction comes from the Spirit. And sometimes when, when people don't have a relationship with the Lord, and maybe even people do have a relationship with the Lord, our minds get clouded of trying to differentiate which, what is the difference. And if there's not a clear voice of the Spirit that is preaching the Word of God in love, in brokenness, in truth, with tears then it's no wonder our world is so confused. You see, the world's confused because the church is confused. And when the church gets right with God, those who are living in darkness will see a great light. I believe God knows where we are and what we're doing all the time. And if we come to recognize that He is that big, and that we cannot escape him, that we have to surrender everything, then we will see a move of God that won't just last five years. But it will burn in us forever. 1 Timothy 4, 1-5, through 5, I know you know this, but I just want to read through this. Now the Spirit expressingly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Listen, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That means if, if you don't respond to the word of God, to the voice of the spirit, that even if you don't know Jesus, if you don't obey what you know is the right thing to do, that God is convicting in your conscience long enough, eventually your conscience will become seared. And it will cause you to resist the Lord and become proud. And what does he say? I resist the proud. It's the meek who will inherit the earth. Verse 3, they forbid to marry and command to abstain from foods. These people were cancel culture of that day. They are moving the standards and the boundaries of what God said was good, which God created. He established to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth, not who know about the truth, but who know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Recently, I felt like the Lord, uh, I was reading some articles on the Methodist church and the struggles that are taking place in the United Methodist Church right now and have been for many years. And I heard just while I was praying one day that he said they're canceling John Wesley. And there was even uh, an article, um, I'll, I'll just read a bit of it here. It said, Meth and this is in, I think, Fox News about a week ago. It said, Methodist leaders say rebellion and dysfunction over LGBT issues is splitting the denomination. They're calling rebellion 
of the ones who are obeying the word of God. Because they're not submitting to their authority. In fact, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but one of the quotes is, says this. There are people who believe that reason and experience should have a higher level of influence on how the Bible is read. In other words, you don't have a biblical worldview. We will give you a worldview. So that when you read the Bible, we'll interpret it for you. Don't read it by listening to the Holy Spirit. Listen to us. Conservatives tend to emphasize the authority of Scripture. Lord, let there be a rebellion as such we've never seen in the church that is standing against the hatred and the Pharisees of our day in love. May we be broken and be in total submission to you and in rebellion to this world and its systems before us. The canceling of our forefathers stems from the selfishness and pride created in us from sin. This is what D.M. Panton said about revival. He said revival is the inrush of the spirit into the body that threatens to become a corpse. It's the inrush. It's the quickening. It's the suddenly. It's the breakthrough. It's not just through great specific songs or good preaching. It's people who said, Jesus, you told us to become a house of prayer. And we want to do the things that you have done and even greater. And we're not just talking about miracles, signs, and wonders. Because the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been in a posture of intercession and prayer. And if we don't look like Jesus as the church, Church, as becoming a house of prayer for all nations, then we are not doing the greater things that the Lord has asked us to do. I believe the church is beginning to recognize how selfless and humble some of our forefathers were. Not all, I'm not saying they were all perfect, but I am saying that there are people who laid everything down. When John Wesley died, he had his, uh, what did they call the, uh, you know, the robe that he wore. He had two of those. He had uh, just a little bit of money to give each of the six men who, died, who carried his uh, casket to his grave. He had a, a Bible and like a couple other things. Leonard Ravenhill said this one time. He didn't really have much when he died, but he left something behind. What was it? Oh, the Methodist church. He gave everything away. He traveled over, I, I, I think it was like, he preached over 50,000 messages by horseback. He traveled so far, I believe they said you could go around, he could have gone around the world one time. I mean, I don't know. You know, we've traveled a lot. We've put, uh, we have a vehicle out there we bought at the end of 2021 because the other one, uh, the transmission went to be with Jesus. But we, um, so we had to get another one. So in a year, year and a half now, we've put about 25,000 miles on it. And that, that's a lot of miles. But at the same rate, think about going horseback. 
into difficult terrain. I don't know if you've been on a missions trip and have had to go into difficult places. You know, there's places in the Philippines where we would go into the mountains where you would cross a river three times. And you were believing Jesus that the river was low. <laughs> you know, and, and taking people with you. And it's hot. It's, you're sweating. There's nothing comfortable about it. And then when you get there and you minister and you're about to leave, they say, hey, we have dinner for you. And that dinner was dog. I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like to eat dog. I've had to eat fish eyeball soup. I've had python about that big around, and it's, you know, lots of bones, and it tastes fishy, not my favorite. You know, other things, the fruit durian, if you're familiar with durian. I know we brought durian candies one year, and, so, and some of you were like, what is that? And we said, just try it. <laughs> and some of you would take it, and you go, oh, thank you so much, and we knew you were lying. <laughs> no. Some of you did like it. Listen to what John Wesley said on his thoughts upon Methodism. He said, I am not afraid. This is a long time ago. What was he, the 1700s, I think? He said, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America. But I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect having the form of religion without power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both to doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they were first sent out. Wow. We recently, uh, a little over a month ago, were invited to speak at a Methodist church in the state of Delaware. My mom lives there. It's where Casey and I met and married uh, we've been married 25 years now. And, uh, you know, so there's most of the churches we go to are Pentecostal charismatic churches. And I love to get invited to places that are very different. In fact, it was a Presbyterian pastor who was baptized in the Holy Spirit in upstate New York where I grew up that knocked on the door of our house for one year. And he wore a robe on Sunday the, the hymn numbers, how much was in the offering, you know, all that was on the wall. We had pipe organs. The church was over 250 years old. And that man introduced my whole family to Jesus. In fact, I just did an interview with him last week on my uh, podcast. And, you know, when you, when you think about the people who've laid down everything and maybe what they're thinking in heaven by watching us sometimes, I, I think like that. So we go to this Methodist church, and it's a 180-year-old church. Um, I think the building had a fire a long time ago, and then they rebuilt it, but it's really old in there. And they have the big organ and uh, all these things. You know, it looks really liturgical. You know, it's beautiful. And there's maybe 20, 25 people in the church, and I don't know, many people were under 60. And we went over a couple of years ago, I think, and David led some worship, and they just absolutely loved, please come back. So when we went back, hey, we're going to be in the area, we want you to be there. 
Well, the day before we got there on that Sunday morning, they had decided as a church, they had been talking about this and thinking and praying into it, that they were going to disassociate from the Methodist, United Methodist denomination. The day before we got there. This is the first time in 180 years. And so that Sunday, I, the message, not knowing that they had done that, that I had to speak was Holy Spirit spies. And it was about when Israel left the Red Sea. It was only supposed to take them about two weeks to get to the promised land. But they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. When they were, when God uh, called Joshua and Caleb and some of the others to go and spy out the land. They went in and those two boys came back and said, we can take the land. God's already said he's given to us. We need to go in. And the other said, nope, there's too many big giants and it's not safe. We can't go. And so because of them not walking by faith and getting to where they could have gone in two weeks, it took them 40 years when they didn't listen to the prophetic voices of their day. When they didn't listen, and when I talk about prophetic voices, I'm not just talking about everybody who's prophetic, but people who knew they hear from God, and, and Moses was, was obviously you know, communicating what God was saying to do. That's why they went in there. But it delayed, and it made me think about revival is that God could bring revival in a day. God could re bring revival in two weeks. But why is it taking 40 years or longer? Why is it taking so long? Is it because God doesn't know what He's doing? Is it because maybe that we've listened to some other voices who told us how we should do these things but didn't differentiate what was the voice of the Holy Spirit? Maybe we're not hearing from the Holy Spirit ourselves. Why? It goes back to prayer, my friend. It goes back to intercession. That if our ears are, in clear, are inclined to God, we will hear clearly. He knows how to bring revival to Asheville. He knows how to bring revival to the state of North Carolina. He knows, you know, how many of us are praying. I'm sure many people are upset at Biden. <laughs> as they were with Trump. Maybe you like one more than the other. I know I did. But here's the reality. Neither of them represented Jesus well. And I'm not saying that they have to be a missionary or a pastor to be the President of the United States. But what I believe is, is that when the church prays, it sure helps our leaders do what they need to do. I want to share just a little bit more Richard Sibbs, who was a Puritan theologian who lived from 1577 to 1635, one of the great Puritan theologians. You know, I mean, they were some of the most godly men that, that, that preached the gospel and taught, and it was just phenomenal. I'm going to share a quote from him in a minute. As I was looking up a specific quote that I'd heard before from him, I found an article that said this, Richard Sibbs, queer Puritan theologian for the LGBTQ community. Now listen, 
before you think I'm just knocking these folks and making them worse than everybody else, I'm not. I will tell you that we have a great love and a great passion to see folks who have been hurt and abused and have been isolated from the church for so many years to come into a real destiny and purpose with Jesus. We used to go on the streets all the time and minister to transvestites. And I heard stories that would break your heart a hundred times over. But this was an article written by uh, Kitridge Cherry and just in November 2021. I'm just taking some quotes from the article. He said, Richard, or she said, uh, Richard Sibbs was a 17th century English Puritan who never married, nurtured, close male relationships, wore extravagantly lacy clothing, and preached a rather queer theology. This was a Puritan theologian. This is, they saw pictures of, you know, in, in England at that time, you know how they wear these big white, you know, fluffy things around their neck and, and the hat. Well, looking at the picture, they're saying, oh, yeah, he must be queer. For Sibs, the purpose of ministry was to woo for Christ. So in, in the, the usage of the word woo, they're thinking it in a perverse way. Sibs charmed listeners by expanding on the traditional bridal theology of mystical marriage which compares the love between the believer in Christ to erotic love and marriage. He connected mystical marriage with the theology of friendship when he called ministers the friends of the bridegroom. Have you ever heard that statement, the friends of the bridegroom? That's not the way you and I think about it. As far as I know, nobody else has identified Sibs as queer before. This is what the author says. But after a decade of blogging about LGBTQ saints, saints, I was struck by how well he fits the pattern. What are they doing? They're moving the boundary. They're saying, no, no, we're rewriting history. This is, and this is what the article says about this author. The post is part of the LGBTQ saints series by Kitridge Cherry. Traditional and alternative saints, people in the Bible, LGBT and queer martyrs. Queer martyrs. Authors, theologians, religious leaders, artists, deities, and other figures of special interest to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, LGBTQ people, and our allies are covered. Why am I reading this? I know you know this stuff. But I'm trying to encourage a burden for revival because the boundary lines have been pushed so far that most of us have become okay with it. What does that mean? How do we how do we know how do I know we're okay with it? Because we're not doing anything about it. We're not praying. Maybe some of you are, and, and I'm not this is not a voice of condemnation, my friend. I, my, my heart, and I believe the heart of the Father, is to move us into a place saying, look, I've met your needs for so long. Do you not know how much I love you right now? Now can you take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
I've taken your burden. Let me give you mine. I'm looking for watchmen on the walls. I'm looking for people to carry my heart and to pray with brokenness and love that I would change hearts all over. When I read these things, I have people many times look at me and, and just like I'm crazy for even saying something about it because immediately they re reserve in their heart that I hate these people. And it's not true. My heart breaks. I have a young man that I've poured into for over 15 years. His name is Alexis. When I first met him, his hair was down to the middle of his back. He wore women's clothing and he had makeup on and he lived that way and he was made fun of all the time, but that became his identity. And one day we were preaching on a street corner. And we were talking about what Jesus can do. How he set me free from a seven-year pornography addiction, my friend. And I've been totally set free since August of 1997 when I stood in front of a church of 500 people and repented for leaving, living a double life. And while we're preaching and we're sharing these things, he gives his life to Jesus. And it hasn't been all perfect since then. I've probably spent more time in pouring into this guy than anybody else. And at one time, I had to distance myself from him because he became so familiar with us. And there were other issues that he was struggling with that I wanted to see breakthrough. But this is what a father does. And I wanted him to know that I love him and I'm not going to cut him off. But I need you to go do this over here and be with these people for a while. Ever since we've been here, he writes me often on Messenger. He's traveling on our island preaching the gospel. There's a shift that has taken place on the inside of him. And I look at it, and it's not because I'm standing over him saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. Because the greatest thing a father and a mother can see is when their own son and daughter pursues the Lord by themselves without them being around. Eleven comments on that article on the, bo on the bottom disagreed with what the author wrote. One gentleman named Nathan said, look at the rainbow in the sky, must be homosexual. Now he was being a little bit facetious. This is really bad historical work, especially in the light of Sib's body of work. If you look at everything, not just one thing, and take it out of context. A man who is well-dressed, single, has friends, and speaks of love ought not to be just labeled as gay. So what did Richard Sibbs, what is one of the things that he said that they were referring to? He said this, to preach is to woo. The main scope of all preaching is to allure us to the entertainment of Christ's mind, safe, wise, victorious government. To woo. When I read that the other day, we met the couple, uh, Ava, is that her name, and Matt, and literally we we had heard about Jeremiah Johnson's uh, conference called The Altar, and a friend of ours leads worship there. And we heard about it as we like came in, and we were staying an hour away at that time. 
And I said, hey, is there any way we can get in? John Kilpatrick was going to be at one of the evening meetings, but registration was closed. And she said, just go and get in line, and I'll get you in. I said, praise God. So we went, and we're standing in line, and your pastor calls me. Hey, Eric. It's Pastor Sam, right? He's always happy, joyful. He begins to say, man, it's so good. Uh, We're excited to have you guys come. We can't wait to see each other, spend time, blah, 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 blah. And as I'm talking to him, Ava and Matt are walking towards me. I don't know who they are. And they're looking at me, and she's kind of looking at me like, you look very familiar. (laughs) She's looking at our family. We were all standing there. And she says, are you a missionary? (laughs) I said, yeah. She says, I go to... Uh, Sam Fine's church. I go, I'm on the phone with Pastor Sam right now. (laughs) It was just so cool. And, you know, but we went to that meeting. John Kilpatrick was talking about the glory of the Lord. And I, I realized something after I was listening to him that night. I realized that God's manifestation of glory is why I speak about revival so much. When I talk about revival, I'm not just referring to the meetings, the excitement, good music, or preaching. What I try to communicate about revival is how wonderful the manifested glory of God is amongst his people. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced. And I've sensed the glory of the Lord at different times throughout the years. But when there is a sustaining hovering of the glory of the Lord like there was over that church in Pensacola, Florida for that five-year period, friend, I'm just going to tell you, there are people who had no idea what was going on. I remember hearing a story of a truck driver who was driving an 18-wheeler and he was coming down uh, the road in front of the Brownsville church and the revival was going on, and, and he had picked up two prostitutes. They did what they did. <laughs> he gets in the truck. He, or he drops them off across the street from Brownsville Church. He had parked on the side of the road, and a voice speaks to him and says, go in that building. He goes in, and he gets saved that night. I mean, I could tell you about, you know, there was no social media at that time. And so it was word of mouth. That means the testimonies of people were going around the world. Maybe some of you might have been a part of the Jesus people movement or Toronto or different things like that where you, you understand what I'm talking about. But people would come with this expectation and brokenness and literally be sleeping on the sidewalk the night before to wait in line to get into a meeting the next morning or evening and wait all day in the hot Florida sun. I remember the first time we went, I had heard about the music. I was a youth pastor from about 1993 to like... 96, something like that. And Casey and I met in the summer of 96. And then we got married in January of 97. And I stood up in front of the church in August of 97, repenting, getting right with God. 
And I had heard about the music. We sang some of it in the church. But I really had no comprehension of what real revival looked like. I thought revival was you put a sign out front, a week-long revival uh, with so-and-so great music. Come and enjoy yourself. You know, the reality is you can no longer hold a revival than you can a hurricane. <laughs> and when we went to Pensacola, it was the, I was working at my parents' garage because I was going through a year of restoration with the Church of God, the denomination we were with at the time. And they had like several mechanics in their shop, and I know nothing about cars, but I'm the front desk guy, you know. So, hey, you know, let me work up your order and give you coffee and things like that. And so while I'm in there, for a few days, we're getting magazines in, and I put on the TV for people to watch, you know, sit down, drink coffee and all that. And we get four magazines within one week. One's Newsweek, Time, Charisma, and then another magazine. All of them have Brownsville Revival on the cover. I'm like, wow, that, that's wild. It's really something going on there. I don't understand it, but that's cool. So I put it out there. I turn on the TV, and here comes Dateline. And I'm standing there talking to someone, and they say, Brownsville Revival. I'm like, they're talking about the Brownsville Revival again. Well, this is all within a few days. I turn on another channel within another day or two, and it's 2020, and they're talking about the Brownsville Revival. So I said, Lord, do you want us to go to this place? I, I just literally felt like he was saying that. Casey was seven months pregnant with Sierra. She was probably not in the mood to travel anywhere. <laughs> and, and that was our first daughter. And so we both agreed that we were supposed to go. And so we go down there. We rent a, 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 we rent a hotel. We rent a vehicle. And we go by the church. On, we get there on Saturday night. We heard you can't get in Sunday, so we go in the afternoon because I didn't want her to, you know, be doing too much. It was hot and all that. Excuse me. And so we get there, and there's a security guard. Her name is Darcy. And we said, hey, is this the Brownsville Church? She goes, yeah, you guys made it. She said, uh, she said there's no meetings the rest of the day, but there's a meeting at the school of ministry on Monday night. And I go, oh, they have a school here. That's cool. I didn't even know that. That's how I found out. And then she said, prayers on Tuesday night. She said, make sure you're there. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night is revival service. I said, great. We'll be here till Saturday. She said, okay. So we, little did we know that years later after graduate school, moving to the Philippines, that Darcy would come and live with us and be one of the missionaries who worked with us for a while. And so we, we go Monday night to the school. There's probably, I don't know, 500 plus people there. Everybody's jumping, dancing flags. People are weeping, broken. The worship leaders got shorts on. I'm a church of God youth pastor, friend. We wear suits, okay? And I'm thinking, who's this guy, man? You know, and he's dancing and stuff. And I'm looking at it going, what is going on in here? I really like it, but I don't know what I should be doing right now. And so we're blown away, and I'm thinking, that's what this school's like? That's pretty awesome. And they're sharing testimonies. They just came back from India. A team of 50 people went to India. All these incredible testimonies. It's like, 
wow, I've never heard anything like this. So we go Tuesday night. We're the first ones at Brownsville Church for the prayer meeting. I'm like, we are not missing anything. So we go sit down in the front pew, and this, the sanctuary seats about 2,500 people. So it's big. So we're sitting at one end, and at the other end, which is probably all the way down here, there were big pews, another lady comes sit there, and she, we strike up a conversation. We're sitting down here, and we said, oh, where are you from? And she says, I'm from Delaware. I go, Delaware? Nobody's from Delaware. <laughs> she, I go, really? I said, because I was a, we were living in Delaware. And I said, where in Delaware are you from? I'm thinking Wilmington or Rehoboth Beach or something. She says, I'm from Dagsboro, Delaware. <laughs> Dagsboro, Delaware is the name of the church that we were at was the Dagsboro Church of God. <laughs> Nobody lives in Dagsboro. I mean, there's, there's a lot of chickens in Delaware. That's about it. And I'm going, this is crazy. Her name was Marlene. She actually has supported us even to this day. And I'm just blown away. Wednesday, I'm thinking, I heard we got to get there to get in line. And then I said, well, let's go at 9 a.m. She's pregnant. You know, don't need to be out there all day. We get there, and there's like 1,500 people in line already. The doors open at 6 p.m. I'm like... What happens if you don't get in a sanctuary? Oh, there's a tent out back and a bunch of people go in there. There's a cafeteria they put you in. They have a screen, everything. I said, look, I didn't come down here for some screen. I said, I'm getting in there. Like, God can't move everywhere, but you know what I mean. I'm like, we're, we're supposed to be here. And we're standing in line, and at the front of the line, these two folks come over to us and say, Hey, where are you guys from? We're talking a little bit. They said, yeah, we come here all the time. They said, listen, we were talking to our group in the front. You could see them, and we look over, and they're all waving at us, right? And they said, look, we, uh, we come here a lot, and we're still waiting for a couple people to come. We'd like to know if, if us two can change places with you in the line. Is that okay? I said, why? <laughs> that doesn't seem to benefit you very well. <laughs> And I said, well, you know, we saw your wife is pregnant. We have a chair over there. It has an umbrella. We got all kinds of snacks and water and stuff like that. And we already asked the security guard and the people behind us, and they said, just come. I'm like, really? So we go over there, and we're like, so welcomed. I mean, they must have saw, like, those, they're newbies. We got to get them in here, you know. They need this. And... Uh, and so, wait all day, now we're going in. We walk in, I walk through the front door. And it was like walking under Niagara Falls. The glory of the Lord. People are running to sit down. I'm thinking, what is this? I've been to conferences, I've been to concerts. This is unlike anything I've ever seen. And they begin to worship. And it felt like God took the roof off of the church and stepped inside. And I looked at Casey. And I said, I, I don't know. What, did you feel that? I don't know what this is. And I knew it was the Lord. And Steve Hill preached a message that night. It was called Be a Basket Case. <laughs> he had this big basket 
of how God was going to deliver you. And the Lord was still working on me. And, you know, life changes. We go back to Delaware on Saturday. We tell my, my parents and different people, and they say, you need to go to that school. We'll pay for your school. And I'm like, oh. So we moved there four months later. It's, it's, and the rest is history, what God has done to bring us to this point, even where we're at today. But, friend, when I was driving up here yesterday, and I was listening to those songs as I've done so many times over the years and cried out to God for revival again. I just sense, I just sense the heart of the Lord that when I read these things and I talk about the, the, what's happening in our world and in America today in the Philippines, what's happening in the Ukraine and all these things. I just video chatted with a friend who's been a missionary in Ukraine and, and that part of the world ever since the Pensacola revival. He's got a bulletproof vest on and he's going in and he's rescuing families and children and taking them out because there's a horrible amount of trafficking that's taking place right now. Men, women, and children are being raped right now by Russian soldiers and and all of this is horrible and there's a family that that had been given uh, visas to Canada and and it's a wife and two boys uh, there was a bomb that exploded in the middle of the night and knocked them all out of bed and nobody got injured thank God but they got in their vehicle and they just took off to try and find a place of safety. They don't even know if their house is still there. If you're a man 18 to 65 years old, you can't leave the country right now. And my friend Greg is out there sharing the gospel, telling people that Jesus loves them. Friend, I'm just going to tell you, this glory of the Lord is more than just having a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's all about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I really believe that we will pray differently if we'll see the Lord in His glory. If we'll say, Lord, we have to press in. We have to continue to push until something happens. We have to believe, Lord, the state of Asheville, Lord, this witchcraft and all the Hinduism and Buddhism and the stuff that's happening in this region. Lord, we want to be a body that prays a move of God into existence, that agrees with all heaven, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Pastor Sam was telling me a word from uh, Bob Jones about a move of the Spirit coming on I-40. And as I'm driving down there the other day, and I'm feeling the grace of God and the love of the Father and just broken as we're singing these songs and remembering the wonders of the Lord, I'm thinking, God, do something. Would you just stand with me? You know, the world tried to cancel Jesus, but the problem is he rose from the dead. How did Jesus deal with cancel culture on the cross? Father, forgive them. I heard the Lord say this month, as I saw all the pride stuff going up for this month, pride month. He said the best way for the gay 
to deal with gay pride this month is, from, is for humility from my church. Humility does not contrast pride, it dismantles it. The church has dealt with pride for so long that without humility we'll never see change. There's an old hymn that was written by the Wesley brothers. It's called And Can It Be. It's actually the, 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 the song of the Methodist church. And David, why don't you come on up here, buddy? Let's do the, the one I told you about first, okay? And Can It Be. And there's one part of that song. It says... Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. There's no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed with righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Boldly I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Friend, if you have a need today, I don't want you to think you can't come to Jesus. If you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself and say, lay it down before me. I know we had a call earlier. So I don't want you to resist if, if that's what you're sensing. But if you're saying, I feel like my heart's clean. I feel like I had breakthrough before or came here today and just feeling really, you know, pure and holy in the Lord. Maybe the Lord's asking you to lay down, not yourself for him and say God here I am send me send me what does that mean send me to the prison send me downtown Asheville send me Lord to Charlotte send me somewhere here in this region in this part of the U.S. send me to the Philippines send me to the Japan Send me to a people that there's, send me to Africa. Father, here we are. Lord, we can't make revival happen. But you can. And we want to do whatever we have to do in order for you to do what you need to do. And what you are longing to do you said, if my people which are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Lord, you're not just looking for us to bring our needs, but our hearts before you to say, Lord, here am I. I want to be a watchman. I want to be an intercessor. I want to be a man after your own heart. I want to be a father to the fatherless. I want to nurture the broken ones. I want the ones nobody else wants. Give us the broken ones in body and soul.
Forgive us the ones, Lord, that have gone through so much torment their whole life. The ones who've been orphaned. The ones who've been overlooked. Who have, have been offended by divorce. God, give us the ones, God, that feel like they can never make things right because they're so full of shame. We want to be used of you. We want you to turn our lives around. We need to pursue your glory because, Lord God, we're, we can't stand to see the borders and the standards being pushed. Not because we just want to be right and yell at people and argue with them but because we're jealous for your name's sake and we know that the enemy is trying to bring confusion, God. Lord, we just bind that spirit of confusion in Jesus' name that you would make us aware of your glory and your presence. Look, if, if there's some type of need that you need to come and lay before the Lord or you're just, Lord, here I am. I want to present myself to you. I want to invite you to come. Lord, I'm, I'm laying myself before you. If you can't come for some physical reason, stay where you're at. It's fine. But if you f feel it's necessary to just come and lay yourself before the Lord and say, God, here I am. I give my life as a living sacrifice. I have seen how great you are. You have done marvelous things in our eyes. And we are so overwhelmed with your goodness. As David sings the song, How Great Thou Art, I just want to invite you to come and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you.